0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are joined by Scott Urquhart from Cable 14's The Hamilton Network, and we've got all kinds of stuff to cover on The Brightest Conversation in Hamilton podcasting. Stick around. We'll do that next.
1: Today on The Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: I want to bring in my guest this evening for The Brightest Conversation in Hamilton Radio, and I tell you, I love any time that we can book this guy to be on because He really does make this the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio, ups the game considerably. When he's not here, you can see him Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday on Cable 14, co-hosting the Hamilton Network on Cable 14. His name is Scott Urquhart, and he joins me now. Scott, how are you? I'm good, Scott. How are you doing? I am. Well, I am trying to decide, and I'll, I'll ask you this question. I'm trying to decide what I'm more surprised about right now, Scott. The fact that there was snow falling on May the 28th, or the fact that the cheapest tickets that you can buy right now for the Montreal Canadiens Toronto Maple Leafs game tomorrow are $1,500 a piece, and the most expensive <laughs> are 12000
2: Well, I I, I think the, uh, the hockey ticket price is the most surprising. I remember... Uh, being in a Nuvik on July 1st and having snow come down. So it's Canada, you know, anywhere, anytime sort of thing.
0: Yeah. I, 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 we had a, we were in our pool last week and sitting outside on on Victoria Day. And in fact, today the heater has been off since last weekend, but there was steam rising off our pool. And all I can think <laughs> is energy bill, energy bill. <laughs> oh, That's yeah. No, it was, it's brutal today. Brutal. It's, it's awful. It is yeah. really awful. And I say Peterborough... and and I'm sure places, you know, like you say, north, but Peterborough was having snow, and I saw some reports of other places. It's just, that's crazy.
2: Yeah, I am done with that. I really am. I was really enjoying the warm weather,
0: and this is a shock to the system, that's for sure. Amen, amen. Now, about the hockey tickets, I got to say, so I'm on StubHub right now as we speak, and you can buy some tickets. They've got some for sale, but Scott, I could maybe understand well yeah i could i can maybe understand 1500 dollars, 2000 i'm looking 2500 here uh 3000 i mean every range but like expensive range if this was the stanley cup finals and the leafs were one win away from clinching their first stanley cup since 1967 this is the first round (laughs) (laughs) this is the first round of the playoffs this is insanity yeah
2: i don't know if it makes any difference that this is uh their first chance to beat the Montreal Canadiens in a series since my voice changed. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure if that's influencing the, the price, but uh, yeah, no way would I pay that for a ticket.
0: And considering like part of, I don't know about for you, I don't know if you ever go to games or if you know ever get a ticket or whatever, Mm -hmm. but if you ever get to go to a Raptors game or a Leaf game or whatever, and it's in the playoffs, a big part of the fun and the excitement is the atmosphere that you're in there with this, like just packed house full of people losing their minds. And it's loud and you're tree. when there's only 2,500 people, you don't even get that.
2: I, I'm not sure how much noise they can make to, to fill the Bell Center, but hey, maybe if they're wildly enthusiastic, they might. But yeah, it, you're right, Scotty. It makes no sense at all. I mean, if you want to go to a playoff game, that's one thing. To go on to a playoff game at this point for that kind of price, you got more money than brains as far as I'm concerned. Uh,
0: you know, look, I, I love hockey. I love sports. There is no <clears throat> chance. I mean, maybe if I won the lottery which you yeah, know is, is, has not happened yet. What I'm really hoping though, that we see from all this is that I'm hoping that Montreal people are smarter than Toronto people, which is who knows, uh, they certainly don't elect people that would suggest they're smarter, but anyway, um, <laughs> but the Toronto people buy up all those tickets and suddenly the Canadians come out on this. And this happens occasionally, both cities and the building is filled with the other team's fans, which would be hilarious. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
2: And I wouldn't be surprised because, uh, you know, some of the Toronto fans are—they're insane, and uh, the Montreal fans are—they're eh, borderline excited about this year's Canadians. They're—you know—they're mad at Dominic Ducharme. They're uh, disgusted with how the Canadiens backed into the playoffs. They're a little bit excited that there might be a chance to beat the Leafs. But even the hardcore Canadiens fans I know right now are not expecting it to happen. They're. You know, it would be really, really wonderful, but they don't expect uh, the Canadians to win two more
0: games in a row. But, you know, we got to go to a break in a second here. But honestly, Scott, if you had, if I were to say to you right now, I will give you two tickets for $5,600 each, and you got to buy them in pairs. I will buy, I will spend $11,000 for you on a pair of tickets, or you can buy anything else with that $11,000. What would you do with $11,000 today? Buy the no, tickets I mean, or buy something else.
2: I'd be, I'd be buying something else for sure. I would not be uh, squandering it on tickets. I, I, you know, I'd be tucking it away for uh, tickets uh, to a trip somewhere, tickets on a ticket the plane somewhere, or something mm. like that. Instead,
1: you're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Scott, just before the break, we sort of joked about the fact that with the LRT and the leaf tickets and how there's some similarities there about, you know, do you take the tickets or do you spend the money on something else? Well, we now know that the city has, doesn't have that choice. At one time they could take the billion dollars that was promised and put it elsewhere. Now it's LRT or nothing. It's $3.4 billion or nothing for the city. So here's my question for you. There are counselors And and I don't think that the councillors who are raising these questions are idiots. I think these are legitimate questions, but there are questions about how much the city is going to be on the hook for, for capital overruns, for maintenance costs, for operating costs, for all those kinds of things that we don't know yet. So should council be taking the $3.4 billion for LRT? Doesn't matter what the other rules are, the other conditions are, because it's $3.4 billion and we don't get that very often. Or should there be decisions on whether to accept it based on what the cost to the city will be?
2: Uh, my vote is take the money and run um, for, for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, this project uh, has been, you know, endless, endless drama. Um, it, it is time for, for Hamilton to build something like this. You are not going to see this kind of cash doled out uh, on a regular basis anytime soon. And if council says, no, thank you, then what do you think the chances are of the government ever saying to Hamilton, hey, we've got some cash for you. Would you be interested? You don't look a gift horse
0: in the mouth. That's kind of my feeling. That is a saying. And, and those sayings come around for, they, they happen for a reason. They take, you know, they, the cliches become cliches for a reason. And so you're right on that one. I, I think that if you say no to this, it's going to be very difficult to get other money. Now, let me just go back though the other way, because there will be some, and I know a lot of people listening may share this view. That's great. I love the idea of getting 3.4 billion, but we've heard reports that it could be up to 30 million a year plus, maybe more than that. For operating costs. And we don't know about overruns on capital. We don't know about a lot of different things. What happens if, when Metrolinx comes and talks to the city this week coming up, we hear that this thing is going to be wildly more expensive on an annual basis than we thought it was going to be? What do you do then?
2: Well, obviously, you know, you'd like to have some better numbers and get a clearer picture on this. But, um, uh, consider the amount of uh, development that's sitting there perched and waiting. There are properties that have been already purchased up and down this line and, and have been sitting idle for a couple of years now as uh, the developers wait to see what's going to happen. This is going to bring revenue into the city, and we really, really need The revenue. I don't know what your taxes are, Scott, but mine are insane on my house. And property taxes can no longer pay off everything we need to do in this city. We have to generate some new sources of revenue. And development costs and taxes on those developments are certainly welcome here in Hamilton. So I don't think you can just say, oh, wow, we're going to have to pay money. You have to spend a little bit of money to make a little bit of money. And I think this is the start of of making some money down the road for the city and maybe some relief for the taxpayers.
0: And that could be. And, you, you know, you may be well right. And I know that that's the position that the mayor and a number of councillors have made that this that the the revenue, the tax jet base that's generated from this will either offset or even better than that. The, the fear though, and you just alluded to it, is the other side that, all right, but if it turns out that it's 30 million and let's say that revenues don't quite match that or something else, it's another point or two on people's taxes. And I think a lot of people like you, Scott, are, are pretty fatigued right now with their property taxes and, and are not excited about the idea that there might be more added to it.
2: Oh, there's no doubt about it. And I, I'm among them. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, about as I say about uh, your taxes, but mine uh, here on the West Mountain have tripled since I bought this house. Uh, you know, they, they went from around twenty-three, a little under twenty-three hundred, to knocking on the door of seven thousand now. And uh, you know, it, it, I, I cannot, I cannot, fathom how that has happened in twenty years. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I it, it's unsustainable if it keeps calling Well, I'll tell
0: you how it happened, Scott. I'll tell you how it happened, and that is, and this is where I think council is on the spot, this council or the next council or whomever. Politicians do not like to say no, and they don't like to have to make hard decisions to cut certain programs or certain ideas, and so they just continue to let the at taxes creep up. At some point, a council, whomever's on it, may have to. If things, you know, we get the LRT and then things the, the money starts creeping up, they may have to make some hard decisions on some other things.
2: No, I, I don't disagree with you there, Scott. Uh, uh, but I also look to uh, the number of things in this city uh, and particularly by this council that have been bungled in the last two decades that have cost us millions, millions of dollars. And, you know, I, I point to the obvious one, the Red Hill uh pavement situation uh, as one of them but there are many others and you know the we've had the same guilty parties for about uh, 20 years now for all of the things that have, have been messed up in this city uh and maybe it's time for us to stand
0: back and look at who's running the place
1: you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml
0: this is an interesting one from this week. I don't know if you heard this story. I mean, you probably did, and many people listening probably did. Earlier this week, yesterday, I believe, the prime minister issued a, an apology to Italians who were interred during World War II. Um, the, the explanation, the official apology being because they just because they were Italian. Now, that's an interesting Discussion to have because there are many people. Well, there's a number of people, professors. I'm looking at just two right here. One from York University, a history professor, and another from Carleton, who say this apology. Uh, we've had lots of apologies, but this apology is a little misguided because the there were only like 600 apparently. I, I'm not sure of all the details. I'm I'm learning my history here, but there are like 600 who were imprisoned, and many of them were card-carrying fascists, so the history says, who supported Mussolini. This was not every Italian who was being affected by this. And and you look at these, and these people are saying, look, we got to pick our apologies right here. We've got to apologize for things we truly have done, maybe wrongly, but you don't just blanket apologize for everything that can be perceived by someone as being Unfortunate. What do you? What do we do with these apologies? Because I'm always, I'm always wondering, even what, whether they're effective, whether they're needed in history. You know, we, we're not the people who did the thing, so it seems sometimes odd to be apologizing for behaviors we didn't do to people that weren't done to. What do you do with this?
2: Well, it, it's. I think it's a little complicated. Um, certainly, in the case of Indigenous peoples, we did do it to them.
0: Uh, and, and people and, don't and, argue that. People yeah, don't argue yeah. that, I don't think. So,
2: you know, uh, and, and even uh, even today, that continues in many ways. So uh, I, I get that. I get the Japanese Canadians that weren't hurt. But we're getting to the stage where you start to wonder, okay, what, what's behind this? And, yeah, as you say, I don't know the details either, but if, if it was a minimal number of Italian Canadians and most of them were card-carrying fascists, in the day, that would have been considered, uh, considered a security risk. So where do we go from there? Is, is the Trudeau government apologizing uh, and playing politics here? Because if you look at the demographics, there are large Italian populations in Montreal, in Toronto, in Hamilton, in vote-rich centres, which the Liberals need. And to make the Italian-Canadian community feel good, is that the cynical operation
0: of the government? But is it is making them feel good, apology? Scott? Is That's it right. making them feel good? Because here's the thing. We know that many, many, many Italians who were living in Canada, who were Italian-Canadians, fought for Canada, fought against fascism, they were, Absolutely. they were, they, these are people now. So uh, let me read you a paragraph from a story that was online from a, it's from the CBC this week and it reads this Roberto Perrin, professor emeritus of history at York University, said in the 30s and 40s, approximately 3,000 Canadians were card carrying members of the Italian fascist party, including some of those interned. These cards, he said, stated they'd be prepared to shed blood for Mussolini and his fascist government. Quote When we say people were interned simply for being Italian, this is nonsense. And that's his quote. And I'm looking at this thinking, you know, the Japanese internment, and again, just learning from history, they were being interned literally simply for being Japanese, right? This is a, this reads, this sounds like it's different. You've got people who were shedding blood for Canada against fascism, and you're now apologizing to people who may have had the same background but had vastly different beliefs and these were people they were fighting against. It's it's very complicated and it's it makes you wonder, as you just said, how much of this is just, hey, let's find someone else that we can suck up to. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's hard to say, but uh, as I mentioned, I mean, somebody carrying a, a, a fascist card in the, in the day uh, would have been considered a, a security risk and perhaps rightly so. So, uh, you know, in Interring them I mean, doesn't necessarily uh, uh, make no sense at all. But what are we doing today? As you say, there were thousands of, of Italian Canadians who went overseas, fought, died, shed blood yes, uh, in, in order to protect the freedoms of this country because they did not want uh, something
0: to happen here that had happened in their homeland. Exactly. But, exactly. Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. No, no, I just like uh, these apologies, I gotta say. like uh, the, the the complication to me of these apologies always, and, and I sort of alluded to it is it, if you are not the person, I always believe like I can't apologize, I don't think, for something that my neighbor did because it wasn't, I mean, I can say I'm sorry that he did that, but to the person that they did that to it, it's meaningless because it's not me who's the one who has to apologize. I didn't do it. And no one can apologize for me for my behaviors. And so to have a government today be apologizing, I'm never really sure what the, unless the behavior has continued on or unless you are directly apologizing to the people who have been affected. The rest of it just to me just seems like theater a lot of times.
2: Well, yeah. And I can't disagree with you there. I mean, I don't know what the thinking is in Ottawa. Is it because, uh, while well, we apologize to the to the Japanese people. Uh, the you know we have to apologize to all the Axis countries that uh, and, and residents of, of our nation that belong to those nationalities. Uh, we already did it for one. We have to be even-handed and do it for all. Uh, is a cynical bid for votes to, as I say, um, suck up to the Italian community. Well, what is it? I don't know what the thinking is, but it is a little surprising uh, that the apology was made and it's questionable.
0: I'd love to know, and you know, look, they can write in Radley at 900chml.com. I'd love to know what the Italian people now who weren't fascists, which was the most of them who were fighting against Mussolini and the fascists, what they think of an apology that in some way seems to cover the people they were against, like th- this is the part of it that, again, th- the story and Scott, I wasn't there. All right. You weren't there. So we're, we're no. going on the history that we're reading from these professors and others who have studied this. These were people, this was not a widespread, every Italian was rounded up and put into these camps. No. Unlike the Japanese, this was a specified six, I think it was 600 of them. And almost all of them apparently were card carrying members that. That, that if that is true and again i'm going by the history that i'm reading from these professors if that's even remotely true that's a wildly different scenario absolutely
2: yeah I, and like i say i i don't know what the thinking is behind this um but there are certainly some reasons to question it that's for sure legitimate or otherwise
0: yeah i you know what i as I say, I, I hate to be so cynical to think that a lot of these apologies have just become theater, but sometimes it feels like that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show
1: podcast on 900 CHML.
0: This topic is very troubling to me. And it's the big tech, the big in communications to Twitter and Facebook in particular for the for the last year or two, they have taken the position, I guess, that they are now the, the gatekeepers of information. And if they determine that something is not accurate, they will either put a note on your account saying this is false, fake news, or they will, in the case of Twitter, they will block your account, suspend your account. And we saw this recently with the stories about the Wuhan lab being the source of covid And if you went on Facebook, they would say that story is false. And if you and Twitter actually suspended people's accounts, well, now that it looks like that may not be the case, that this may in fact be real, they are backtracking and saying, okay, it's all fine now. So the question becomes to me, who checks the fact checkers? Like we have these arbitrary people who have designated themselves as the arbiters of what is truth and what isn't. And here's an example that they may not, we don't know yet, but may not have been right. But who's checking them to know whether their fact checking is correct?
2: Well, I mean, it's a complicated issue. And and as you know, um, you know, Scott, you've been in the news game for quite a while. And I was as well. Um, Things develop, things change. new information comes to light. So what appeared to be false six months ago, uh, you know, as more information comes along, you have to reevaluate. So yeah, who checks the fact checkers, but when you get something that you believe is solid information, do you not have a duty to uh, let that information uh, be disseminated? It, it's a, it's a really tough call. And I, I, I worry more about uh, allowing big tech companies to decide what's true and false. That's
0: my point. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly my point. Yeah. That's exactly my point. Because even if they had put something, for example, on Facebook that said, you know, current information suggests this might not be true. But right. to slap it with a label that says this is fake, this is crackpot, and you can't put this out there. And then it turns out later that they're wrong. Well, then all this does to me, Scott, is say, look, you are probably not in the position where you should be making these judgments and banning people from your platform if you've proven already that maybe you don't have the absolute lock on what's truth or real or that you don't see the end game. I I get very concerned when you have these companies that have the power or the self-given power to decide what is true and what isn't.
2: Well, I I think it's kind of a no-win situation. I mean, there was tremendous pressure put on those companies by the American government and and other sources uh, to try and stop the flow of misinformation that was rampant uh, when uh, Trump was in the White House. And so they finally had to come up with something to say, okay, um, we'll go along with this is true, this is false, especially in cases of, uh, of vaccination uh, whether it uh, works or doesn't work or whether it'll kill you or it doesn't, uh, they were under tremendous pressure to do so. So they did something. Now we're saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Uh, you guys are all not always right. So let's go back to the, to the vaccination uh, misinformation. If they said, slapped a label on it that said, uh, this may or may not be correct, it does nothing at all to stop the flow of misinformation. If they're saying no, if there's no definitive answer, uh, they can't stop misinformation.
0: So but I, but is that their me. role? Is that their role to be the, the publisher? I mean, they would argue that they're arguing out of both sides of their mouth. That's the problem here. They're arguing, mm-hmm. you can't sue us because we're merely the platform. So you can't sue us for libel or anything else because we are the platform. We're not writing this stuff, but then they're being the publisher as well saying, but we're going to tell you what's true or not true. And we are going to be the dis- dis- discerners. I, I, you either have to have it one, either you're a message board or you are the publisher and you are then re- responsible for the stuff that you've put up on your platform.
2: Well, I think it gets into the uh, area of, is it time to regulate the internet? And that's a whole different can, can of worms. I mean, if they're left to regulate themselves, um, well, we know what can happen uh, with many different bodies that regulate themselves. Uh, Sometimes it's not the best option. On the other hand, there will be tremendous opposition to any serious form of regulation of the Internet. And that's mostly from consumers who feel um, it's their right to say whatever they want to, Uh, they don't want to be controlled on the internet. They want to do what they want to do when they get online. So what's our answer here?
0: I think generally, almost always, you're better off by letting freedom of speech be the way to go. And if you disagree with it, or if you think it's crackpot, you ignore it. And there's always going to be people who have crackpot. this is the thing, Scott, is that by covering the, by not letting this stuff be posted, it's not going to get rid of the crackpot theories. They're going to exist. They're just going to not exist on that page, but there's, you're not getting rid of them. You're not eliminating them. No, but they're not
2: as widely disseminated either. And that, that can be significant. That can have significant impact. That's for sure. It can, it can, but I've it always can. Been the, of the opinion that, you know, if, if there's something online that's just ridiculous nonsense, then those who wish to should make a better argument. And mm. that has always been my position. But uh, we are in a society now where argument makes no difference. Yeah. The facts yeah. make no difference.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Saw this story today, and it's a, it's a one of those fascinating, I think, discussions that you could have sitting around a table over dinner or over a drink or whatever with your friend. Uh, in Sweden, at Lund University, they say they've now figured a way that they can do a test and tell you years before it would ever kick in if you will get Alzheimer's. And I'm looking at this and it's, you know, it's it's one disease, it's one condition, but let's say this broadly, whether it's just Alzheimer's or whatever, would you want, if you were going to get Alzheimer's, cancer, whatever, something that would have a really significant and difficult and maybe fatal effect on your life. Would you want to know that ahead of time? Or is this something where you say, no, I want to live my life. And when it comes, it comes and I'll deal with it then. Are, are you, would it benefit you to know ahead so you can plan or do you say, no, let me just figure it out when it happens?
2: Yeah. You know what? I, I think I would like to know. And and, I, and it, I know it's going to vary very much on uh, depend very much on the individuals. but I would think I would like to know simply because if there's a way that I can change my lifestyle to prevent it to some extent, uh, if there's uh, you know research that I can pursue to to help me, uh, then great. Uh, and if not, then yeah, I'm, I know what's coming and I'm going to do the things I want to do before it's too late.
0: Yeah. See, I'm the opposite. I, I and, and maybe that's, maybe that's just being blind and being stupid because as you know, with your explanation, which is a good one that you would want to be able to adjust and maybe get treatment. Um, I, I, I just think it would adjust my, it would make my, it would change my life in such a way that I wouldn't, all I'd be thinking about is that, and I wouldn't have any enjoyment in life because all I'd be doing is anticipating and being upset about what is to come.
2: Well, I mean, you know, the the old saying, it's inevitable. Uh, death and taxes are the only two things you can be sure of. Um, we're all going to die, and uh, we, we don't know when. But, um, yeah, I, I think if I had a sense that, okay, this is coming towards me. And I don't know how this test, how accurate this test is or, or how far in advance or if they can even give you an idea and say, well, in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, this is going to be onset. Um, but it gives you a frame of reference if that's the case. And you say, okay, I have this many years to get my uh, affairs in order and uh, to live my life the way I want to live, to go to the places I want to go, change my career, to do whatever. Uh, because I know that somewhere down the road, this is what I'm going to face. And I, I guess I don't have any real um, concern about death. It's not it's not something I dwell on. Uh, it's just something that I accept is going to happen whenever it happens. And, and so I would probably live my life the same anyway, for the most part. Uh, but in the case of cancer, if there was something I could change in my diet, maybe avoid it, prolong it, sure, I would do that.
0: You, are you a bucket list guy?
2: Uh, Marie and I, my wife Marie and I, uh, many, many years ago, just uh, when we were engaged, we we made a bucket list uh, of things we would like to do. And it still hangs on a bulletin board in our kitchen. Really? <laughs> and it is yellowed <laughs> with great age. Uh, but generally, no. We're, n- we're not like, oh yeah, we got to do this before we die. Yeah, that's before we die. We set out a few goals that we thought, I would really like to do this someday. Uh, more more that sort of mindset, as opposed to before I die.
0: Have, like have any of them been someday. scratched out, by the way? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, Good. yeah. Not all of them, but yeah, some of them, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's nice to think of, well, where, if I could go anywhere in the world, uh, where would I, one place that I would really like to go? Just one, you know, or whatever it is, whatever goal it is. That you'd <laughs> I, like to I'm
0: thinking before. these days that might be Windsor. Because <laughs> <laughs> but Okay, so where is that? Where is the one place that Scott Urquhart and Maria Urquhart would go?
2: Australia. We already went. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. We thought, yeah, that would be really cool. We'd like to do that someday. And as it happened, our, uh, our oldest daughter ended up as a, a nanny in Australia, gave us a perfect excuse, and away we went, you know.
0: The one thing, see, I, I think, well, these things are we're getting back to this one about whether whether you would change things. See, it becomes really interesting, especially if you have kids or if you don't have kids or if you have family or whatever, like so many things that I'm guessing a lot of people listening are in the Scott Urquhart boat right now where they say, yes, I would absolutely want to know. And I'm guessing there's people in my boat who would say, no, I don't want to know. And, you know, I like, I can certainly see your side, the the one thing, and this has definitely changed for me, Scott, over the years. And it becomes as you get older and as you have a family and stuff like that, the one thing is financial now is that you're Mm -hmm. looking going, okay, if I know what's going to happen, I'm not wrapped up in money, but I want to make sure that I don't leave my kids with a mess. So one thing that comes to mind is, okay, let's make sure that at least if I knew, let's at least have things in order just so they're not having to deal with my, you know, w- with whatever I would leave and then I can leave them some money or whatever else. But boy, it's a, uh, it's a tough one. That is a tough one. I, I, and truly if it came right down to it and I, like if you told me today, uh, you have your choice to know or not know, I, 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 mm, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to say I wouldn't, but I don't know.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it could be a, it could be a hard truth to learn.
0: That's for sure. But, um,
2: yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd mind-knowing. I, I think I'd be okay with that.
0: Well, I got something to tell you, Scott. I got some. No, I just, that's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have no medical result. Thank goodness. Oh, Scott is going to yeah. live for another 112 <laughs> yeah. years. He's going to set I a record. I noticed I'm going senile already, have you? Nope. That's you know, part of my problem.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I
0: didn't even see this story until just about five minutes ago. And I kind of was stunned by it, Scott. And it's a story that comes from the um, the Guardian over in England. The number of smokers worldwide, the people smoking, I, I I don't know if you expect it. I sort of thought that smoking was fading out, that it was going down, that people were moving away from smoking, that over here we've had so many public service announcements and, you know, we don't let people smoke in public or around their kids or in cars or wherever the number of smokers around the world is now at an all-time high with 1.1 billion people smoking. Does that stun you? Because it stuns me.
2: It, it, is, it is a bit of a shock. It is kind of surprising. But I, I guess a, a breakdown of those numbers would be in order to see where um, the, the highest smoking populations are. Uh, is it North America? Is it the West? Is it uh, in China? I know there's um, Grand River Tobacco. Uh, Most of its tobacco goes to China. Um, There's a a very heavy market there. Uh, So I don't know if it's Asia. I don't know if it's Africa. I don't know where in the world it is. I'll tell you it's not Africa.
0: I'll tell you it's not Africa. And the reason I say that is because my wife and I were over in Uganda three years ago. In fact, we left three years ago tomorrow, uh, as it turns out. And Nobody over there smokes. I mean, yeah, the very, very, very rare person, but it's, for whatever reason, that's just not a thing. I'll tell you, the countries that may, so it says here uh, from this story that um, 10 countries make up two-thirds of the world's smoking population. China, India, Indonesia, the US, Russia, Bangladesh, Japan, Turkey, Vietnam, and the Philippines. And one in three smokers, 341 million smokers live in China which, wow, I, you yeah. know, I, I, that's, that's, that's a stunning number.
2: Well, I, I knew it was a, a huge market, but uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised by that number myself. I'm more surprised that the United States may, still maintains a top 10 position in this. I guess uh, Virginia tobacco just won't die. But uh,
0: <laughs> well, given all the, the, the yeah. public service education and everything yes. else, I'm surprised. I mean, look, I, we know people still smoke, but the, the, just the, the, our acceptance of people smoking almost And look for people who are listening, who are smokers, I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to scowl at you, but it like people smoking is perceived very differently now than it was even 20 years ago. Very differently.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I think, uh, well, I look at my own my own in-laws, my mother and father-in-law. Uh, my mother-in-law quit when my youngest son was born and had some health problems when he was born. And she had been uh, packed, pack and a half, two packs a day for 40 years or so before that happened. Uh, and, you know, now her view on smoking is like, that was the dumbest thing I ever did. So, you know... Uh, it has changed. And so not just from ex-smokers, but from people in general who say, why bother?
0: Yeah, no, it, it's, and people who quit, um, not all, but oftentimes the people who quit, especially like, like that, become some of the most, um, what's the right word I'm looking for here? Uh, evangelical about not smoking. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, yes. Almost antagonistic at times that they, and and look, and, and I understand because, you know, look, it. I, I believe I've not had to quit because I've never been a smoker, but you hear from people about how difficult it is to quit. And, and so, you know, whether it's because they're now not wanting people to offer that temptation or they just realize that it's not good for you or whatever. Yeah. They become very staunch about it a lot of the time.
2: Yeah. I talking about how hard it is to quit. Uh, I remember uh, looking at a, a study or an article that um, compared addictions, and uh, it was more difficult to quit tobacco than it was to quit heroin. So that gives you some idea of how hard it is to quit. Um, but, yeah, the fact that uh, most people today just go, no, it's too expensive. No, I, I don't like the smell of it or on my clothes or whatever the attitude has changed considerably and, uh, the younger generation now it, it's vaping. That's, that's the thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, you, it, it would be, it would be stunningly hilarious in, in, to see someone try and light up a cigarette on a plane in North America these days, because the, the reaction would be shock followed by absolute <laughs> outrage. But I guess in other parts of the world, that would be maybe oh just sort of, par for the course, like we used to be here. I, I yeah. don't know. Very yeah. interesting. I, as I say, I thought smoking was, was on its way out, but obviously not. So ah. um, Scott, we talked on this show and, and I, I, I said it yesterday. And for people who were listening yesterday, um, I have a policy on this show and I broke it yesterday and I'm going to break it today. And then we're going to bring it back into a policy again. And that was no UFO talk. Um, <laughs> However, the fact that the that sixty minutes has done a legitimate, serious look at the U.S. government studying now the possibility of UFOs or UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, because it said because that sounds way more like not crazy. Yeah. Um, and the Washington Post wrote this week about the U.S. government's exploration and millions of dollars being spent to investigate these things. Is this is this just another sign that we're in loony land or is this something where you look and you think, you know, no, it's a good thing that the government is spending money and doing some serious research into this stuff because we got to know.
2: Yeah, I think we do got to know. I'm very intrigued by uh, the report that is supposed to come out next month from the U.S. government that's supposed to uh, reveal everything they know about UFOs yes. uh, from start to finish. That would be interesting. I'm intrigued by the um, uh, footage we've seen from uh, military fighter cameras uh, of things that pilots can ex- cannot explain and, and uh, their you know recollections of what they saw and how it affected them. Uh, it is intriguing, and you know mathematically um, there has got to be other life out there in the universe. There's ten thousand planets in our galaxy alone. That would be capable of supporting human life as we know it. So to say, to say there's nothing else up there is like mind bogglingly. The chances are mind bogglingly slim.
0: Yeah. Uh, although, if you know, if, if that's true, um, and we haven't been able to find them. I'm not really sure that they would have been able to find us either and be flying around and buzzing. It's always interesting to me that that it seems like all these reports are always of these UFOs buzzing our or the Americans military apparatus, which leads me to believe unless the aliens on planet Zorblop um, are really (laughs) into aircraft carriers or fighter jets, it's way more likely this is if it if there is something, it is spy drones or some other technology from China or Russia or somewhere else that we just don't know about, so we can't explain it.
2: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think part of it is we hear more about it because we're on this side of the pond, but certainly there's no lack of uh, sightings uh, throughout Europe and other parts of the world as well. We're just more familiar with the ones that are reported in the American media. So uh, that may be part of the reason why they should be concentrating on on the U.S. Um, otherwise, I can't imagine why they'd want to look at that country yeah, so closely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's just it, a personal thing.
0: <laughs> but what if, okay, so y- you you are, I'm not going to, like, I don't want people going away going, oh, Scott Urquhart, I mean, the guy's, uh, you know, he's driving his pickup truck around looking for UFOs in his overalls every yeah. night. That, that's not it. You're open to the concept. But, okay, so honestly, what would happen? What would your response be if Maria came home one day and said, Scott, I saw a UFO? Would you, would you, do you, do you think you would honestly look at her in the eye and go, really tell me about it? Or would you say, really Maria? Okay. Let's call that clinic and make sure we can get in and have you check for a concussion.
2: (laughs) Well, I know that generally she's, she's not crazy. Um, uh, You know, so I, I would sort of be intrigued, but yeah, I'd want a lot of details. That's for sure. And, yeah, I am open to the possibility. I I, I think it's fascinating. And, uh, you know, we certainly haven't proven that it could not happen. So let's, let's check out and see if there is a possibility that, whether it be spy drones or something else, I think at least we should look into it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be fascinated when this report, and you've alluded to it, that that it's going to be released with what the Americans have or don't have it. And the downside to this, I think, the impossibility is those who, like as I say, you're open to the concept. There are those who are much more than open to it. They are absolute believers. They are Fox Mulder from X-Files, kind <laughs> of like this is absolutely, we know this to be true. If, if the report comes back and says, look, we don't know what these things are, but they all seem to be military apparatus, they're going to discount that report immediately because it's eliminated the possibility that it's from another planet. And if it says these things are, we believe, from another planet, all the other people who believe that they have their feet on the ground and are into common sense and logic are going to say, come on, really? We're, we're wasting millions of taxpayers' dollars on this? I don't think you can come up with an answer that's going to make people accept it, whatever it is.
2: Well this goes back to what we were talking about earlier Scott. We're sort of in the post-truth society and arguments don't matter anymore. I mean, facts don't matter anymore. You can have all of the all of the proof and all of the uh, you know logic you want, but if somebody wants to believe something different, they're going to, and you're not going to persuade them. And that's the nature of our, our society these days which
0: is I think extremely
2: unfortunate, but here we are.
0: It's a really the other thing that comes out of this, it's a government document. What is the press conference going to be like if a US president has to stand there and say, Yes, we've got evidence now that the UFOs are coming? Like, I can't, but I could not imagine that Joe Biden's people would allow him to even talk about this thing at the risk that it becomes the absolute press conference, YouTube, Looney Tunes. <laughs> thing that sticks around forever. Like Joe Biden is now 80, whatever. He's completely lost his marbles. He's talking about UFOs. I just can't even imagine he can be allowed to talk about this.
2: Well, I don't think they're going to trot Joe Biden though, but no matter what, I mean, it's the government don't trust the government. And yeah, the conspiracy theories are, are probably already percolating no matter which way this thing goes.
0: Uh, yeah. Because, you know, we, as I said yesterday, when we were talking about this, we know, quote, quote, no, we know about the alien autopsy at area 51 that's been covered up for all these years. <laughs> right. We saw the video of it. We know yeah. that it's true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- th- this just, it almost seems to me, Scott, that if, if, and, and I am, uh, unlike you, I am an absolute believer that there's, it's not that, that, that we're not it's not real, but nonetheless, um, even if it was, if they have the capacity to get here and do stuff to buzz around in ways with technology that we've never seen, I don't know what the purpose of even knowing that's the case is because clearly they could blow us up and we couldn't do anything to stop Uh, them. Absolutely. And
1: sorry. And if, and if they,
0: and if they aren't real, then, you know, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Intriguingly. Um, and this is just recent,
2: there have been recent detections of incoming radio waves. I heard that
0: in deep space.
2: And that's something they haven't been able to explain yet.
0: Yeah, no, I've heard that. And again, it's, it's, these things are, these things are so interesting in, in the sense that for, look, I'm no expert in all this stuff, but if you're picking up these radio waves, does it not suggest then that they would have to essentially have the same technology or the same capa- that we would, which seems rather convenient. I don't um, know. I don't know.
2: I, I don't know. Not necessarily. Um, yeah. I I'm no expert in, in physics or electronics or anything else like that, but I can imagine that there are many, many different ways to generate radio waves. Uh, and many, many different frequencies. Um, the the thing that intrigues me is that there doesn't seem to be any natural way to to generate them. Uh, so, you know, and once that possibility is eliminated that that it's some sort of natural phenomenon, then what's left?
0: I just hope that they're receiving 900 CHML on planet Zoom. Yeah, absolutely,
2: Zimbabwe. absolutely. You know the that they 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 can learn about Earth from you.
0: <laughs> Yeah, no. They they when they come here, the first thing is where is Scott Urquhart? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Scott Radley. They're coming for you, first, buddy. Either way, they'll they'll just believe everybody is named Scott, or you know, depending. <laughs> and Scott Thompson's on this yep. station. They'll yeah. just Planet Scott. I like. I kind of like that idea, of Planet Scott. Though that's that's kind of uh, that's got a nice ring to it. I, you know, we'll we'll see. If you have
2: to have two T's though. I'm out. That's the problem. You know, two T's on the mm. sky.
0: <laughs> I, I am I am sure the aliens will not be sticklers for spelling. <laughs> Heaven knows, Earthlings aren't. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, tell us about uh, cable about cable 14. And uh, tell us about the the Hamilton Network. What is coming up on the Hamilton Network these days?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, well, it, we're, we're going to be. I, I'm sure we're going to be talking next week about the uh, the decision uh, or non decision, depending on what the situation is about reopening schools or not.
0: Yes. And,
2: and that to me, um, well, that's a whole different can of worms. I don't know if you want to get into that or not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going, we're certainly going to be talking uh, about uh, uh, council on his decision on the LRT uh, and what's going to happen once that, uh, you know, representative from links drops by. Yes. Uh, so yeah, we'll get into all kinds of stuff like that. But we also like to, to talk to um, different groups around town. Uh, that don't get a lot of, you know, mainstream media coverage and still need a voice in the uh in the community whether they be social service organizations or um organizations that that support the environment or uh other things along that line. Uh we've done quite a bit this year in terms of uh trying to You know, narrow the gap in terms of uh, racial uh, disparity, Uh, and that's really been uh, not only enjoyable for me, but in many ways, uh, an eye-opening education. So we get into a little bit of everything, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a fun show.
0: Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday at five thirty.
2: At five p.m. and then five p.m.
0: Yeah, there's a repeat at nine. On Cable 14, you can watch Scott and Mike Fortune there and all the other stuff. Scott, listen, we uh, we love when you come on the show. You are always one of the absolute best guests on Friday with the Brightest Conversation on Hamilton Radio. We love when you do this. Thanks for your time. No problem at all, Scott. Thank you. The Scott Radley Show.
1: Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.